when of course there isn't. There's an infinite amount of jokes. There's an infinite amount of points of view. Uh, when people say things like there's two sides to every story, it always makes me cry laughing <laughs> because there's a million sides yeah. to every story. If there was only two sides to every story, life would be so simple. Yo, what's up? It's your girl, Father Long Legs. You know me, Daddy T. This is episode two of season six of You Can Tell Me Anything. Very excited to bring this episode to you. Um, I am so excited for this guest. I mean, you already saw the title. We have freaking Greg Proops on the show. Greg Proops. The man, the myth, the legend. Um, because I woke, I literally grew up watching Who's Line Is Anyway before I even knew stand-up comedy existed. So this is a very cool moment for me. Um, yes, thank you so much. I will be taking questions. No, I won't. Um, okay, wow. This intro has gone off the rails. I only have one announcement, which is I'll be at the North Carolina Comedy Festival in Greensboro, North Carolina, not September 9th and September 10th. It's hosted by The Idiot Box in Greensboro. Um, I will also be going to traffic court in Stokes County. So if for some reason you live in Stokes or Greensboro, come see me do comedy or, I don't know, come see me do traffic court. Cool. All right, I'm so excited for this episode. We do have a couple exciting announcements and updates from the network, Hoo-Ha-Ha Podcast Network, which if you guys haven't checked out the other podcasts on the network, you can download the free app. It's Hoo-Ha-Ha app it's under the apple itunes you know you can google it um everything's free it's female driven comedy um you know we love the network a shout out to stephanie she's been working so hard on strategy and media and just really getting things up and running since um the slowdown during the pandemic um and yeah stay tuned for a couple more updates we will be working with zencaster i don't think that will affect the way you listen everything will still be streaming on all the places you go um, but it does mean a bit more streamlined efficiency on the recording end so i'm very excited for that and we will be working with more um brand sponsors so that's something very exciting um you may be hearing more you know direct collaborations with partners um as we go forward and of course if you work with brands or companies that you would like to partner with the podcast you feel like it aligns with me and my comedy or you know whatever we talk about here please let me know or you know get at hoo-ha-ha you guys know how to do that kind of thing enjoy this episode i can't i can't wait to share this with you greg poops everyone you can tell her you can tell Yo, what's up? It's your girl, Father Longlegs. You know me, Daddy T. This is You Can Tell Me Anything, the podcast where I have comedians confess something they want to get off their chest. And wow, very, very excited for my guest today. What? I mean, we're talking about like classic comedians, you know, like this is a, this is a hero. Um, okay, I, I'm not trying to embarrass you, but you guys know him from Whose Line Is It? Anyways, he has a podcast called The Smartest Man in the World. I guess you should call it a Proopcast. And an album out, I think, newly uh, improvised album called In the City from San Francisco. So you can go buy that, stream that, give all the love to that. Please give it up for Greg Proops. What's up? Hi, everybody. <laughs> Hi, Teresa. How are you, darling? I'm good. Um, we got to know each other over the pandemic, which I thought was cool um, because I definitely feel like there were during the pandemic, it was so much like, oh, there's no more comedy. I 
I'm sad. And, and then of course, in all that, I'm sure you meeting me was not the same degree as exciting as me meeting you, but um, during the pandemic to be able to like get to know you and um, open for you was really cool. So thank you for bringing that light to my, uh, my Zoom times. No, it was exciting for me because one, we didn't meet in a club, which makes it so much better. Uh -huh. And uh, two, you know, we were doing those Zooms uh, shows, which uh, I think on the album, I say it was like, um, you know, performing in a, in, a, in a booth in the 70s where they put quarters <laughs> in, you know, you're behind the thing and the audio goes crazy. Um, but also, uh, it took me a good long time to beat it through their head uh at the club the nowhere club that i wanted um women and not all white people because <laughs> i am a white people and uh, -huh. uh that never white guys never somehow think that three white guys doesn't like turn everyone on that's a comedy fan uh and so i'd say like could we not have three white guys because the first show we did it was all white guys was all, and then oh that's funny so then finally so it used they, to just be that so it'd be like a tall white guy and a short white guy so that's right, diversity right. you know like right a white guy with glasses and a uh -huh. fat white guy and then you, you've covered the water so diverse, that's humanity yeah. yeah that's all of humanity so no it was really lovely meeting you and of course finding out about your family and their history and everything uh, yeah. was very exciting yeah, uh -huh. I've, I've um, just, I guess for the listeners real quick, we don't have to get too into it, but yeah, we kind of connected on the fact that um, b b uh, your father, right? And my, gra my great grand or your grandfather? Father. My father. Yeah. Fa I'm, a, I'm <laughs> like, not old. Not, um, or maybe I'm, I'm, a, I'm that young, you know, it's all perspective. Um, hmm. But yeah, they both fought in World War II. Obviously, I'm like, so I have to be like, also with the allies, but in China, remember when they were on that side? Um, so that was really neat. And during that time, it was, you know, a lot of me thinking about my family and roots. And I hadn't realized so much of my great grandfather's story till the last few years, because there's just so much um, entrenched in my parents moving and their parents moving that growing up, they didn't get to share that. So I thought it was cool to be able to share that. Totally. Um, yes. No, it was nice because I, I feel one day we'll meet in person and uh, hopefully it'll be somewhere fun. And, uh, <laughs> With but real I think audience. It, Right, there's been so many relationships, I think, during the plague uh, online and through social media, and that I think they're just as, how are they not as real as they were before? It's sort of the new real, I guess. Yeah, so. I kind of found, because you did, you were like someone who regularly did these like shows, like productions, which is cool. Like it was, you know, like you would get dressed in a suit and you had the regular audience. Um, I forget the, there was a girl who would always draw um, and she was like a regular, right? I'm pretty sure. Oh, right. Ben's, one of Ben's friends was some artist and she'd sketch yeah. us during the show and whatever. But he's, he seems to know everyone because he likes to schmooze and I'm the, uh. <laughs> I sort of hibernate and, and uh, boil in my own uh, fuming hatred and, and bitterness. <laughs> well, sometimes, because it's like, I love the connection too, but sometimes when you open it up, um, you know, you can really get, I feel like it's, you're probably thicker skin than I am because you you just know the the ropes better. But um, I got like a comment the other day just from like an Instagram story, which is totally fine. I should be totally fine with strangers making comments. And it wasn't even that bad, but they're just like, oh, do you have a fake tan? And I have vitiligo. And I was right. like, wow, you don't know that? But I'm like, how would you? Because yeah. I'm just like, why would you say that to a stranger? But then I have to remember, I used to like get those teen magazines and like kiss Nick Carter's 
face. So it's yeah, like, yeah. you know, we're not thinking of them as people. And that's, I don't want to say that's fine, but it's normal. So <laughs> it is because you're not, when you're uh, on social media or television or whatever, you're an abstraction, you know, you're, yeah. you're, you're an idea of who you are and uh, the, you can't expect people to have the same conditions for you. Even though I've been on TV and I'm often on TV, I'm myself, I'm Greg. Mm. I don't even have a character name. Uh, so people don't feel like there's any distance at all. So they feel real free to say things yeah. like, well, you've gained weight or, uh, you know, Jeez. you know, and you think, you know, well, because you're in the business of being like accessible as a friend, like that's the persona you create, yeah. which is, and you're good at it. So that's good. But then sometimes people forget that it's, it's not like you guys have actually hung out and they can say that. And also your friends shouldn't say that either. So <laughs> no, they shouldn't. I never say uh, the two things I can't stand that people um, feel free to say in, in public are you look tired. Oh, I hate that. I hate that one so much. And, um, you know, you've gained weight or whatever. I have never said you've gained weight to anybody. And I've never said you look tired to anyone, even if they look really tired and have gained weight. Why would you say it? Yeah. I just, to me, it's like, I, I just, I, I always say to someone, you look great. That's you know? a nice, yeah. Or I like your hair. Like, yeah. There's or, no reason or, or, to put someone down, especially if they are clearly tired. It's like, they yeah. are. We're all tired, baby. But I, I've had lots of people go, oh, man, you look tired. And it's like, I just finished doing a million things. What do you want from my life? Oh, man. And, That's wild. you know, well, like I said, I, I always say it on, uh, I think I even say it on the album. Uh, there's a uh, comedy fans. Uh, comedy is the only craft where people really feel fully qualified to critique you, even mm. though they're not an expert. Being an audience member actually doesn't make you an expert on comedy and They'll say things like, um, well, it was pretty funny, man. You know, the faint praise. Uh -huh. I saw your show and you know, it was pretty funny. And you're like, um, I want an unqualified rave. I want, <laughs> you know, you, you made the moon rise. You made the universe explode. I really don't need to hear you were pretty funny because I would never say to an audience member, yeah, you're a pretty good audience. You almost got all my jokes. You were kind of <laughs> stupid, but sure. you know. So, but, um, yeah, there's also and, the, oh, you're pretty funny for a girl, which uh, oh, yeah, for a girl, I get less right? of now because I think people are more aware, but it, it, yeah. that's just a wild one because you're like, now I'm curious wh what your barometer is. Right. And, and the whole, uh, uh, the idea that you could go to a comedy show and that um, audience members feel free to heckle you and say they don't like your act because of the content of it or because of you. Whereas you'd never go to a music show and go, stop yeah. playing jazz. I like country, uh -huh. you know, like it, uh, they don't understand that we're all kind of different. And, you know, yeah. it's comedy. It, comedy is one big Venn diagram and it starts with, you know, Joe Rogan on one end and ends with, you know, <laughs> Wanda Sykes. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we're, somehow we're all encompassed in it, even though we're not. You know, like that's true. I was trying to explain that to my parents that, that we have genres in comedy and yeah, and it's very like when you say it, we all know it, but we but it's not like comedy on iTunes. Everything, it's just a genre, whereas like yeah. music, movies, at least you, even Shakespeare, you know, there's only two tragedy yeah. and comedy. But but there you go. It's, you know, um, no. Yeah. And, and the, right on iTunes. Uh, oh, my goodness. There's country and there's ambient and there's dance and there's house and there's. Uh, a, a new country in Americana and world and Brazilian and this, but comedy is one big fucking thing. I'm me and Bo Burnham and uh, 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 Kate Berlant, uh, all of yeah. right and some redneck 
piece of junk and, <laughs> and some asshole are all the same. We're all, mm-hmm. we're all working the same patch. And it's like, you know, they don't divide us by audience, which is, I mean, they do by race, which I always find really insulting. <laughs> that is, yeah. Or yeah, they do that or by uh, orientation, but depending on the time, yeah, right, yeah, right, right. sometimes it'll be like, which way you face. Show. Yeah. yeah. But it's, you can't have all bisexuals on a gay, like gay pride show. That's like uh-uh. not okay. I mean, and also like if I was booking, I kind of get why, because you know, you want to encompass everyone, but it's just funny that you can have like a classic show and it's just all straight white guys, no qualifier, but a gay show, mm-hmm. like, you know, it has to have one of everything and right, right. all what bisexual, they're all lesbian? comics, but yeah. they can't all be together. <laughs> right. No, it's, it's, uh, I've always found it, uh, hilarious. And the idea, uh, even the idea, like you say, of a, uh, of a gay show that can't all be straight or gay white guys or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, none of this ever occurred to any of the people that were booking comedy when I started, I assure you, <laughs> uh, I get slammed all the time for being, uh, too correct or whatever. And I, you know, obviously I've said a lot of crap in my career that I wish I hadn't said, but, uh, um, like when I started, mean, like people think you're like per- performatively, or there people are mad. Oh, yeah, at yeah, you? Yeah. <laughs> virtue signaling because oh. I, I'm not a sexist, racist asshole on stage, and so therefore I'm not really appealing to the real people who are straight white guys. It's easier for them just, to get mad at you who they already like than it is to get mad at a racist person who won't listen to them. That's correct, and so like you know the the uh, when I started in the uh, early eighties, um, you know, there was no thought whatsoever given to how, who, what the makeup of a show was like, they didn't have urban comedy night or Kung Pao comedy night, or, <laughs> you know, the, 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 what are they, uh, the, the, oh, ladies, the show- like ladies night or right. Right. And finally they started in the eighties doing women's comedy specials and they would always call them like ladies of the night and stuff like that like and it was always like so wait a minute women comics are prostitutes you would never call like the men's comedy special the hung men of you know los angeles or whatever i feel like la comics would love that though uh no yeah there's Uh, yeah i don't know i just feel like uh we're the last genre that um is still fighting for our lives as far as uh trying to it's it's improved a million times since i started believe Hmm. me there's so many intelligent, informed, great people, and there's so much more room for uh, uh, trans people and people of every gender and persuasion and nationality. But having said that, comedy is still the most, it's like baseball. It's the baseball of fucking oh, entertainment. Because yeah. baseball, you know, even though there's players from all over the world and stuff like that, all the owners are white. Hmm. Uh, they struggle to get anyone to watch the game that's not white. They really do. Although Asian uh, people love baseball, but they watch the they international. Yeah, I I didn't. Well, growing up, like my when Taiwan won some championship, like everyone I knew was yeah. into baseball. Well, Taiwan, Korea, and Japan are are the you know the stanchions of baseball. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then of course in Latin America, but like you know uh, to get a to get a black person to watch baseball in the United States is a real struggle now because why should they it's it's a bunch of crackers spitting and a bunch of managers who you know it's like so i feel like comedies we're like the last frontier like we need to be the nba or the wnba of entertainment and we're not yet 
you know. But in, it's uh, cool that you say that because in some ways, like I feel like you everything. I don't know if it's like an algorithm. I think in like terms of like everything you do is compounding on the equation of your life, and. Obviously, like you are aware that you are part of like the history of comedy, but also you saying that now and actively, you know, trying to um, it, like meet new comedians and you know uh, diverse in book your um, lineups diverse. It's you're actually adding to it while you're part of the history, and so it is. It's like compounded the effect that it has, which is really cool. Like I'm not trying to like you know blow smoke no, up your ass I or did. whatever, but it is it is cool because I think it's so many people I start with who are doing well, but are still just a few, you know, they're still babies in their career, like really struggle with that already. Cause there's a feeling of scarcity. Like, oh, if I let someone, you know, shine, is that gonna take away from me? But I think the reality is like, no, because like you said, it's a genre. There's always room for new musicians, for new movies. Why wouldn't there be new comedians? I agree. I, I think that a lot of people, um... As one comedian friend put it to me, uh, some people will view the world in terms of, like you said, scarcity, uh, that there's a finite amount of laughs, there's a finite amount of success, there's a finite amount of love, and that if you don't get yours, it's going to be taken away from you. When, of course, there isn't. There's an infinite amount of jokes. There's an infinite amount of points of view. Uh, when people say things like there's two sides to every story, it always makes me cry laughing <laughs> because there's a million sides yeah. to every story. If there was only two sides to every story, life would be so simple. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, I, I don't talk about it a lot or take credit for it a lot because I'm not that kind of person. But my wife's always saying you should sometimes because you need to let people know. And so I appreciate you saying that because I really do. And uh, there's a couple of other comics, uh, Anthony Jeselnik, I think, and a few other straight white guys that made an effort the last few years mm -hmm. to have women on their shows. So I, when I played in clubs, I mind you, I haven't played in a clubs since before the plague. Um, it's okay. We're not going to, you know, check that. It's fine. No. Right. But even no, during know, the plague, you know, <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. you did a bunch of shows with me during the plague. Um, yeah. uh, I, I, I just wouldn't have all male anymore. And I had to make that decision. And I had to tell my management and then they had to tell the clubs and clubs would still say to me, I swear to you, in uh, big cities uh, wow. that shall remain nameless, San Francisco and Spokane, uh -huh. <laughs> uh, would say to me, we can't find a woman. So is it okay if we have one man? Oh so there'd gosh. be one woman and another guy. And I'd be like, you can't find a woman comedian in this <laughs> giant market or you don't want to spend the money to bring one in from another market that's nearby, uh -huh. you know, like, it's just it's like that. They can't, it's, it's wild because even from a, like, not from speaking on, um, you know, progress or representation, just from a, I feel like good producing comedy standpoint, it's good to have a lineup that has different points of views. Like it, it's even, you know, when I'm booking openers, unless I'm trying to really appeal to like, this is Asian night, which, you know, we, we have yeah. those. Um, I, I want to have different voices represented, you know, that doesn't mean like, I'm always like, oh, it has to be a straight white guy to open for me. But to yeah. me, it's about the diversity of voices and it's good for you. If you're, there's like uh, you know, dates in the audience, sometimes they're like, ah, what's comedy. And then there's, you know, they get to hear a woman's perspective. Maybe now they're primed and they are like, oh, like, obviously your comedy is funny. So you don't need, for you, it's not about finding the opener for your material, but having 
a wide experience. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And you know, uh, my friend Will Durst said to me years ago, uh, he's a political comic. And I remember saying to him, I've got this political joke. Mind you, this was a long time ago. And it's the same topic as your political jokes. And he said, you're not burning the topic to the ground, you're opening the floor. Oh. Now the audience oh. is thinking that way. And I thought that's a really generous way of looking at it. It's the way to look at it. You can't look at it the other way where like, oh, you know, because there are comics will say, don't do the uh, barbecue bit because I have a barbecue bit or, you know, whatever it is. And you're like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Like hopefully say original to me, enough that you have different, it's like a conversation. You've got different jokes, similar yeah. topics. Yeah. I have comics say to me, I have this bit that's similar to your bit. Do you not want me to do it? And I'll go, honey, do whatever you like because- First of all, I'm not, I'm reasonably confident that I'm going to be funny, <laughs> but whether or not you burn my topic to the ground, uh, you know, but I, yeah, I, I, I just don't perceive it as finite at all. I love the, um, the idea of opening the floor because my, the first thing I thought was the floor for some people is a ceiling. So it's yeah. not just the idea that it's, you know, you're kind of like creating more space and it's like, who doesn't love a basement party? Sometimes. <laughs> You know what I mean? Sometimes I right. like a rooftop pool. Sometimes I like a bass, a basement right, right. rock band. So it's like, I want to go up and down. Okay, Greg, is there anything you would like to tell me? All right, this is it, Teresa. I've been thinking about it since you approached me. And uh, of course, there's a variety of things I could confess, some of which I probably will never will. But this <laughs> one I thought was hilarious because it's so topical. Um, I'm not Jewish. Uh, a lot of people think I'm Jewish. Uh, I, I, I certainly act Jewish and look Jewish. <laughs> uh, my name is Jewish. Uh, Proops is traditionally and historically uh, a Jewish name. Okay. Uh, I actually don't it, know if I know any other Proops. No, there aren't any. If you know there one, th they're related to me. I swear to you. In oh, the United wow. States, they're my cousin. If, if, if you meet another Proops, they are related to me. But that's how few there are. Oh. But it's from a family of names from Europe, uh, Probst. Oh, okay. Uh, Probst. I'm not kidding. There's some horrible European names, uh, <laughs> Probst, and all that jazz. There's a famous um, Dutch. Uh, uh, I can't remember what he was, like a lithographer or a, 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 a printer named Jakob Probst. Uh -huh. My grandfather on my uh, father's side was Everett Probst, and my middle name's Everett. I'm named oh, after my father like, and my grandfather. Thank you. My dad's name was Stephen Gregory, and my grandfather's name was Everett, and my name is Gregory Everett. Um, but his father, Everett's father, was um, Solomon. Solomon Proops. And uh, uh, like severe, not like not in a, it's yeah. just like gravitas. There's a lot of gravitas to these. Right, like the Bibles. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, and then my grandmother, uh, Beatrice's, and by the way, if I was a girl, I was going to be Beatrice which is hideous beyond measure. Um, <laughs> my uh, my uh, parents named me the boy name anyways in Chinese. Carrie? Well, I was, I'm Teresa, but our, we were going to be Tai Yi and Zenny, my twin. And they thought one was a boy, one was a girl. And when I was born, they were like, let's give them English names. And they still kept Tai Yi, which is like, I guess it's neutral, but it, they really were like, it's fine. I'm like, oh, this may, this explains a lot. No, not so that the name name? changed. Yeah, I have the boy's name. And I'm like, I, I guess I do have a lot of masculine energy, so. Right? Is that what makes you so curious? Um, yeah, so the, and then my uh, grandmother's father was uh, Simon Adler. And so uh, they're Jews and they're from 
uh, I think Germany, maybe Czech. I've never, you know what? The truth is I've never cared um, enough. <laughs> well, yeah, because I want to back up to, okay, because it, it is a funny confession, but the context, like obviously you, when you said like people think you are. So I, I'm a little curious to elaborate a bit more. Like, is this just like, you've just been like, I'm not going to correct them. I'm going to go along with it. And now in the zeitgeist, like on Google, it's just like Jewish comedians or. I don't want to destroy people's dreams. Uh, uh, and the, uh, I know there's a lot of English comics who think I'm Jewish. And uh, to them, I am. And in essence, I am. So I kind of, and it's not like cosplay. I'm not one of those, you know, you see white people like put on a, a, a an, an Indian outfit or a, a Native American outfit or, or, and go, hey, I'm, you know, Pocahontas. Um, my whole father's side is Jewish. Uh-huh. Um, so, but in... Uh, but Jewish it, it didn't religion. like uh, observant or whatever. Like it passes down through the mom, right? Yeah, it's matriarch. It's a matri uh, matriarchy. So it's supposed to be your mother. So, like for instance, I know a bunch of other uh, Jewish uh, comics and people adjacent to comedy whose father is Jewish, but they aren't Jewish, and it happens. Um, it doesn't mean, you know. Uh, like I say, it, it's an identity thing. And I'm happy if people think I am because I don't care. And I certainly make jokes about it on stage and include myself in it because I feel like uh, part of it anyway. If your father's Jewish and your whole side of your family is Jewish, and believe me, if you met them. Um, but were you raised <laughs> so culturally? Because I, I understand that no, my mother's part from Mississippi. Of it is, okay. Because a big part of it is like culturally um, identifying and then the religious part, right? But but it's so mixed up now, right. especially if you're in big cities, that I understand just being like, oh, well, it's easier to say I'm Jewish if I, all my friends or whatever. I mean, I can't say that, but I totally yeah. understand. Um, well, it, it, like you say, it's a cultural. I identify with it because I identify with my father's sense of humor and that side of my family. And uh, he was from Brooklyn and he had a super caustic you know, Brooklyn sense of humor. And he spoke with a Brooklyn accent. Okay. And he called people darling. And uh, <laughs> uh, he was also fantastically fascist uh, and a really <laughs> awful person. Oh, um, <laughs> my father preceded the whole woke thing because he'd say to me when I was little, why is everyone so sensitive now? Uh, when I was little, there was Pollocks and, and on and on and on and uh, all these racial epithets. And they lived there and we lived there and, uh, and no one cared. And like, uh, dad, they did care. You're just, just a really belligerent, horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, having said that, my mother's from Mississippi. So I'm straight up Southern on my mother's side. And um, they literally- Can you tell people like, you're so, like, I'm curious about, cause it's such an interesting like thing. What identities we, we have so many, but what we kind of, hang on to as like the forward facing. And it sounds like, like especially being in comedy, I'm, I'm sure that you're aware of Jewish comedians. Does being Southern, is that a thing <laughs> you kind of, but you know what I mean? Like, are you like, I, I think it took a while for me to actually be honest that people saw me as an Asian comedian. Cause yeah. for so long I was like, well, I don't walk around being like, I'm Asian. But yeah. then, you know, over time and over many auditions, it was very clear that like, whether or not you see that it's, people are curious what, what you are. Um, but it's yeah, interesting because Southern, I, being from the South is its own identity. I feel like the the culture in the South, it's like, you know, Southern hospitality, there's a whole different vibe than the West Coast. Do you feel oh, like so. you identify with Southerners a lot when you meet people from the South? You're like, oh, I grew up there too. 
No, there totally is. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm such a West Coast person. I'm from the West Coast. I've almost always lived here. And um, but everyone always said to me in high school and everything, are you sure you're not from the East Coast? Because I was a little more hyper and whatever. I guess the East Coast attributes that people a little smarter. No, I'm yeah, smarter, aggressive, you know, willing to call people out. And because the West Coast is so not that you you never call anyone out for their for lying to you. Because West Coast people will lie and go, yeah, you know, I really, I studied a lot of journalism or whatever. And you're like, really? Which journalists? And they'll be like, well, you know, you know. They're like, oh, I'd love to get lunch. Yeah, Yeah, the ones, you know, and you're like, yeah. And then I, uh, uh, you know, when I go to the South, I relate to the Southern people because my family's Southern uh, on one side. And, um, you know, plenty of white supremacists. so yeah, you identify with that no i'm just kidding yeah right the thing is i hilariously don't identify with any of their politics at all and um but I, their fashion I, sense um love the fashion no i'm just kidding me too because <laughs> the thing i love about the south is and the thing i've always done is dress up um when you go out in the south or, or it's a sunday for instance uh which is the goyim sabbath uh they <laughs> The um, you'll see people in pink and chiffon and and sky blue and canary and apricot and you know yeah. they wear colors in the south and and men and women and the women really and hats you know and the whole enchilada and it's okay to be polite in the south you can be as racist as you like and <laughs> and ignore the fact that slaves built the whole place or the enslaved people that you dragged over built the goddamn place we're never talking about that. On the other hand, they're going to go, hi, how are you today? Uh-huh. Well, bless your heart. How are you? Can I help you? And that part of the South, I really appreciate because the part of the West Coast that drives me mad is um, people uh, walking into businesses and going, yeah, I'll have, give me a latte. <laughs> you know what I mean? That self-absorbed. Yeah, uh, there's the world a, a hypocrisy, too, especially in the, I, I grew up in the Bay and it's very much I, like, it's like they're like liberal in politics but it's like you know classist a bit and so there's the element of like oh not in my backyard but i'll donate yeah money over there and that's the vibe where you know they're very quick to tell you something you shouldn't say something or you how you should feel about your culture but they're also like one-on-one not polite but then when it's like oh but i'm polite to gay people as a group yeah yeah, yeah. you you know <laughs> yeah no, that's the part that drives me mad, you know? And I always say, like, on stage, the the South never lied to you. The South never went, hey, everybody's welcome. Rainbow flags, let's do this. The South went, um, here's a statue of Robert E. Lee in the middle of our town. Get where we're coming from? You know, like, they didn't... Yeah, they no, they'll tell to, you, yeah. Yeah, they didn't. They weren't trying to bullshit you for 100 years. They, they let you know, this is where we go at the core of us. You know, this is what we believe is superior, and this is what we don't. On the other hand, we have awesome food, better food than the Midwest. You know, I go to the Midwest all the time, and um, I go everywhere all the time. Mm-hmm. And now I'm back on the road. Um, you, I see more Confederate flags in the back roads of Ohio than I do in South Carolina. Wow. Um, yeah. And Pennsylvania, rural Pennsylvania. I I drove through. Um, we went to Gettysburg. Because yeah. I was like, I've never been. I didn't grow up on the East Coast. We never did the field trips. And the um, we did one of those, like, you know, guided tours with a uh, national. It was, you know, he was like an official yeah. national park guide. 
and it was the day they were taking down the Robert E. Lee statue, I guess. And he was like very, I, he was like calling him Uncle Bob. And he was like, well, you know how I feel about that. And he kept saying like the, uh, the, the North got lucky. Um, and I was so oh, surprised. Sure. Lucky, but it was yeah. so surprising to just hear this like national park ranger just saying like, you know, and also looking me and my boyfriend in the face who not, neither of us are white and we're, you know, yeah. <laughs> our parents are immigrants, but it didn't, we didn't feel unsafe. And that's the weird thing, like kind of what, like what you're saying, like there's an element of like, yeah, no, it's not great. We want progress. But in that moment, they're kind of just like, well, you know how I feel anyways. How are you doing? You want a cookie? You know, yeah. it's like, I'm not going to do anything as long as you don't tell me I'm wrong. Uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They, they prize their racism like it's a pony they raised, uh, <laughs> like a prize 4-H pony. And at the same time, they're going to be nice and polite to you and shit. And uh, yeah, like Uncle Bob, right? Like he was um, not only an owner of people, he was noted as a cruel owner of uh -huh. people. And when the enslaved people that he owned dared to run away from him or uh, challenged him, he had them flogged and wow. tortured. And, and that's who we have to deal with that reality. America's never ready. Like I said to Jennifer today, I'm afraid to even talk about that I'm not Jewish because if there's one thing that really makes people angry, it's telling the truth. Mm. And so it would have been easier for me to just sort of glide yeah, so how uh, secret is this? Because I mean, yeah, obviously, you know, it doesn't sound like something you've been hiding, but it's um, it, in, interesting enough where over time you're like, maybe I'll just mention it. So have people the, come up to you and like had whole stories about how you're their favorite? No, Jewish not at all, or? because because people are super uh, tender on the Jewish thing. Uh, except for that, they're not afraid to be wildly anti-Semitic when they get a chance. Just like every group. Uh, like, for instance, people really, really will rank on Jews when they feel like the Palestinians, I'm just saying this, for instance, are being un unjustly dealt with, which, of course, they are. Uh, and they'll go, oh, the Jews do this. And you're like, wait a minute, that's <laughs> that's real close to you people. Uh, wow. and, that, and all of a sudden, the jump from the Jews to the Chinese to mm -hmm. the blacks to the Mexicans to the it's like it's othering because most yeah, of the yeah, time yeah, yeah. when these wars happen it's like I mean all the time it's a few people in power and they're yeah. actually more of the same group like all the fascists or whatever yeah probably could form their own country um and the most of the people just want to live and not be in danger right so, so like if I would say something like I, I support uh, the state of Israel because they're a democracy and that all of the other countries that are surrounding them, the Middle Eastern countries, um, are kingdoms, emirates, mm. sultanates, uh, or religious, uh, like in Saudi, Wahhabi, uh -huh. religious combined with a kingdom. And they don't have civil rights and they don't have uh, Jews in their parliament, whereas the Knesset actually has Muslims in it. Mm. Uh, then you're getting real trouble because people start to go, well, the Jews did this and the Jews did that. And all of a sudden it's like, wow, man, you know, uh, but, uh, mind you, it's a complicated issue and I would never simplify it to any point. But I find like I lived in England for years. And when I lived there in the 90s, um, there was a woman who was a talk show host named Vanessa Feltz. And she was Jewish and she had a big nose and she was brassy, you know. And English people don't tend to be brassy. They, you know, they say, oh, thank you, Teresa. It's really lovely to be on your show. Uh, I understand that you're 
um, of Asian extraction. That must be very interesting. <laughs> you know, that kind of shit. So yes. they would call her in the newspapers, Jewish talk show host. Jewish talk show host, oh not just a woman, right? You know, like, wow. you know how women are always women comics or women athletes, even though what? Um, women are more than men. So the the norm, the centering seems off. Yeah, they have to um, add it. <laughs> so the Jewish comics in England, uh, of which there are many, uh, uh, were never the dominant comedy breed. Like in the United States, it's a given that if you're in show business or you're a comedian, there's a lot of Jews. I mean, that's just how it is. It, we, it was always that way. Jews started movies, you know, Jews started vaudeville. Not that there weren't a million other people, there were, but let's be honest. Wait, I have, people... a, I have a que real question, because um, that just to, because I'm uh, just to clear it up, because I never use the term Jews. I say Jewish people, but I don't know. Is that something that to me, if no, a Jewish person says that, it's different, but like, and obviously you saying it's different, but I'm curious, like, is that something? Am I, am I, uh, did I miss something or does that make sense? No, no, I, I'm not saying, cause I, I was like, I've never thought to ask. That's just something I assumed. But then I realized like, yeah, it, it, is it offensive? It's one of those things like you can only say if you're Jewish or, you know, you're, you're in. Right. Traditionally uh, in the old days before we let, uh, uh, people be openly, uh, about their sexuality or their gender or, uh, and and when like in the '60s, for instance, mm. you you had Irish comics, Italian comics, Black comics, Jewish comics, and maybe your odd Polish, you know, whatever. And then women, uh -huh. meaning there was Joan Rivers, Rusty Warren, Toadie Fields, Moms Mabley, you know, like yeah, wow. that, I'm talking about the God on TV, that right. that the the public. Obviously, there was loads of comics playing all over the place that were. Uh, but I mean, like, what, in American show business, if I say schmooze to you, you know what I mean, right? Like, everybody knows what schmoozing is. Everybody knows what a nosh is. Everybody knows what, you know, a macha or alter cock or whatever. Like, there's a, show business is Yiddish. Mm -hmm. People speak a little bit of Yiddish because that's just the lingua franca. And in England, it was never like that. When I would oh. use Yiddish in London, people would be like, what are you saying? Like, for instance, the word mensch, a human being. Yeah. Everybody's familiar with it in show business. That guy's a mensch. That woman's a mensch, meaning they're a good person. They're, they're a real human. In England, when you say someone's a mensch, there's a, a, a insane woman uh, journalist named Louise Mensch, and they think you're talking about her. Like, huh. they literally don't know the Jewish, the Yiddish word mensch. Uh, which I find hilarious. So I would always, people would always call me and be like, what are you saying? Because <laughs> uh, uh, they don't even say spritz or schwitz or schmooze or any of the common ones that everybody uses here. You hear rappers use Yiddish. I mean, you know, like it's just how everybody. It's funny because I grew so, up in Palo Alto and I, I knew all those words. And I really mean, Palo Alto? Got, yeah, and I'm familiar with I went to school I, in Palo Alto. You did? Yeah, yeah. You, oh my God, that's so wild. I went to Gunn High School. Um, my Yeah, my parents met at Stanford, so. Right, Gunn. My sister went to Terman, and uh, 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 I lived in Palo Alto for like a year when I was in second grade. I mean, go on, wow. sorry. No, I'm from I St. love Carlos. that. I'm so from you, St. Carlos. Oh, cool. So you, yeah, so you, under, but you know Palo Alto, is, it's, it's, yeah. um, 
the vibe of politics, like university town, but also like, it's kind of like what we were talking about, like the woke uh, classist liberal. Yeah. But um, yeah, like they built a JCC, they were building a JCC while I was in high school and then they, they did open it. And the ad they sent out was like an, <laughs> an Asian woman doing yoga. So that's like Palo Alto, yeah. you know? Right, right, um, right. And, and yeah, so. Get it, we honor your culture and we love your food. <laughs> but that's the thing is like those words, I, I don't remember actually learning what mensch meant, but it just made sense, like in context. And I think yeah. being around like Palo Alto and then Joe Biz, like, and then moving to New York, you pick up oh, on New those. York. Well, but yeah. New York is so if like New York is so Jewy and so Italian that you can't help but pick it all up when you're there mm -hmm. and Greek and, and Asian and Indian. And, you know, there's that's what makes New York so boss is like San Francisco, where I'm from. Uh, well, when I moved from San Carlos, that moving from San Carlos, which was stultifyingly white, to San Francisco, where all of a sudden every single other block is another group, mm -hmm. then all of a sudden you learn to order a burrito and then you learn to uh, order <laughs> Chinese food and you learn the difference between this food and that. You know what I mean? Like you're forced to. But I think a lot of people come from places where they don't feel like they're forced to or they don't want to be forced to. And that's where the, the anger and the resentment comes in. Uh, and then they how old were you when you moved to San Francisco? Because I wonder if it's um, a teenager. Okay, because I think it helps if you're like in that uh, in your coming of age time. Because I moved to New York and I already grew up in the Bay and I was you know liberal politics, but I was just espousing what was told to me. Like I would clearly just go down the list and be like, "Here's what I believe," and luckily I still believe it. But you know, like yeah. you know, poor choice and all that. But at the time, I wasn't as aware of the actual argument. It was just very clear that I was. A Democrat, because everyone I know is. Right, and right. It's funny when you grow up in the Bay Area, you're poisoned. When I first started to meet people who were really conservative or actually were right wing assholes, and they're like, wait a minute, no one I knew was, I don't get it. How do you, yeah. how does this happen? How can you feel that way? And then, of course, you realize there's a bunch of people and they're really powerful and they're running a bunch of stuff. And then uh, you're little, because, like, for instance, um, uh, the Secretary of Energy is named Jennifer Granholm in Biden's cabinet. And I went to high school with her. Oh, wow. She was the queen of our junior prom. And I went to junior college with her at the College of San Mateo. And uh, she used to have a TV show on what was Al Gore's network, Current or whatever. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, all the women who worked on her show were all girls, girls, were all women from my high school. And I remember going back to Jennifer, my wife, and saying, isn't it funny that all the women who worked on their show are all from my high school and that she's, hmm. uh, she was governor of Michigan and attorney general of Michigan. She's a really accomplished woman, a lifetime crusader for civil rights and, you know, from San Carlos. And my wife went, no, it's not unusual. You're all from the Bay Area. You're liberal. <laughs> I was like, right. I forgot. I forgot. It would have been unusual if we'd all been from Dothan, Alabama. <laughs> Uh, or, you know, Tallahassee, Florida. And then all of a sudden there's a whole bunch of liberals in a room together. Uh, but no, like you say, you grew up in Palo Alto. It's like, it's low key. There's a lot of, you know, there's degrees of liberal. And then there's sort yeah. of the right, the four Republicans are over here. They live in Atherton or whatever. Or, well, it's hard you know. because there it's not, <laughs> wealth is not equal, equated to politics because the wealthy and the Bay Area are mostly liberal, or at least, you know, there's a lot of them. So mm. it's not the feeling we're in some, some more, um, I guess, spread out towns where the rich people are Republicans, because 
they vote in their interest and they're sort of like them against the rest of the town. Uh, you don't get that as much in the Bay, but you do get that. I do think you get more of it with like race comes in more. And, and I think Asian people in the Bay are guilty of this, like fighting um, affirmative action, you know. So you get into that realm where it's like, uh, like a little dicey. It's like, you're really sounding like a yeah. conservative and, person. And the Bay Area, like you say, there's that tacit liberalism which always made me laugh and that when i make fun of the area people for being that kind of liberal they get huffy uh <laughs> like I, I was doing a, a an album a couple years ago which i didn't put out which i'm thinking of putting out where i talked about my high school in san carlos in the 70s um they brought in kids from east palo alto right mm. and epa is traditionally yeah. the black part of palo alto palo alto is the white part of palo alto and so EPA, they brought the kids in from EPA to San Carlos. So complete culture shock for everybody. Um, this is the 70s. So all of a sudden, boom boxes and Afro forks and, you know, a whole set of politics that wasn't extant in our town. Uh -huh. 400 Black people put into a school of 1,200 people. Uh, wow. Mind you, the, the Ravenswood was more Black uh, and, and uh, like that, but uh, so at one point, uh, there was a riot, basically, whatever you want to call it. There was a, a race riot, sort of, at our school. And the police were called and this and that. And um, I was telling an anecdote about it uh, on when I was, I was the punchline in San Francisco. Uh -huh. And I said, um, the thing I remember is cops everywhere at the school, which there never was police at our school. And... Um, because nothing ever happened. I mean, mm -hmm. my school was just white, you know, like <laughs> the biggest thing that ever happened was someone smoked a cigarette behind the portable, you know, like nothing happened. <laughs> and all of a sudden there's people fighting over race. Wow. Gun high school and, is, uh, we used to have an area called the path. I mean, in the seventies, that was like how it got its name, but people would just go and get high there. And then it just, everyone knew about it and it was fine. And by the time I went there, it still existed. So, right, right, behind the portables. So the, the joke was, or not the joke, I've said um, the uh, um, Nazis showed up at the school. And that's what I remember. I was going mm -hmm. to school one morning and there was a bunch of Nazis out there and they were handing out Nazi literature because they thought that we white people should really, you know, mm -hmm. get up on that part of our history and, and you know, wow. embrace it. And and I said the cops too, you know, blah blah blah. I met a black kid in the locker room, and I can say black kid because we were kids. Yeah. And uh, we started chatting, and uh, he said, uh, "You want to give me a ride to work or whatever?" And I went, "Yeah." So I took him out to my car, and so it's me and this black kid. And by the way, this is like the day after the riots began. There's a cop standing there, and he stopped me, and he said, "Where are you going?" And then he turned to the black kid and was like, "And where are you going?" Right. And this is my be my first experience with how that works. Wow. And uh, so we he said he's giving me a lift and the cop let us go. We got in my car and we listened to Peter Frampton comes alive and we smoked weed. And then fantastically, he said to me, let's make this the complete thing. And we took weed from each of our bags and put it in each Aww. other's. I swear to you, That's this is so 1970s. Cute. Yeah, 1977. <laughs> and um, because I, you know, I thought, what the fuck? Like yeah. there's Nazis at my school. Oh, and so I said it to the crowd and the crowd went quiet and at San Francisco. And I'm like, I want it noted. And I'm going to put this out on the album that you went quiet 
when I said that cops were fucking white supremacists. I want you to know that you did this in the year of the reckoning, blah, 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 you know. And uh, they do. I mean, I love doing comedy in the Bay, but they, the audience does get tight on. Oh, do they just? Well, they, it's funny too, because they did it with you, but they'll definitely even like, almost an like if it's all white audience they'll get even more sensitive if i start talking about identity race not even in a political way like Mm -hmm. they just want to make sure they don't laugh at the wrong time you know because they're not sure and then then they're not listening and then all of a sudden i'm like great you're not supporting asian representation because you're not laughing no but (laughs) it is strange how they're they they get quiet because they're just trying to process like am i allowed to laugh or not well also you know uh, like making fun of Asians is still not off the menu for comedy. Mm. You know, it still happens. And to me, that's, it was just like, I can't believe it. I see it. I see it yeah. happen. And, uh, and uh, it, to me, that's just like, as far as we come, there's always more evol- evolution that can happen. Uh, but going back to uh, the being Jewish thing, yeah. Lenny supposedly, from everything I've read okay. and listened to, Lenny Bruce, right, was raised by his mother, and he was nominally Jewish. I don't know that he was Bamitzvid, and he started hanging out at a diner with other Jews, and particularly one guy whose name escapes me at the moment, and he picked up a lot of his Jewishness from that. Mm. So Lenny Bruce uses loads of Yiddish in the act. And he really does a lot of Jew jokes. Like what's the one on Steve Allen? He comes out on Steve Allen's show and he goes, Steve Allen, uh, Elizabeth Taylor married um, Mike Todd. One of her husbands was Jewish. And his opening joke is, will Elizabeth Taylor be by mitzvah? And he goes, you know, like this does a big take. And, um, in other words, I think he made himself more Jewish mm. as a, a comedic device I see. to make yourself a little bit the other. Uh-huh. And then it gives you this vantage point because at his best, Lenny Bruce, is moral. Mm. You know, his morality is what we remember about him. Yeah, he was a drug addict and he was a snitch and all the other awful things. <laughs> But he, his morality on stage, when he talks about uh, the rich religious yeah. figures. What he believed being, in, he spoke Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That there's an equality. To, he did the how to make your colored friends relax at parties routine, okay. you know, where he's a white liberal trying to be made with a black guy. And he always did it with a black guy. And, and they would do it, you know, oh, well, you know, I would love my sister, you know, date you, you know, and on and on like that. So I think what we remember him for is that. And I think he... Uh, used his Jewishness as a uh, an, a device. So, yeah. Not that he wasn't entitled to, obviously he was entitled to, but different than say, for instance, Jerry Seinfeld uh-huh. or, or, or Alan King or Joan Rivers or all the other comics that you can think of that are openly Jewish that, or, or, as Don Lemon said, openly <laughs> black. Remember that one? Because oh someone said, are you yeah. openly black? And so for years, Don Lemon was going, I'm openly black. Well, like, you know, like, <laughs> Or my friend Scott said, uh, oh, oh, your friend's black. And he said, uh, yeah, I think he knows he is. <laughs> you know, like we know what we are. Uh, well, it's interesting that you um, say that like, like that, because I mean, in some ways I'm kind of, as much as, as we make fun of like comedy used to be all 
you know, white guys, but it's like, there really has always been like cliques and separation. And I know it's like, you know, it's not, it's gauche to be like, oh, it's, it's harder to be a Jewish community in this in this time. But the reality is like, people have always been exclusionary. And I think it's actually helpful to understand even when it was all white guys, like how the politics worked out. Because I think that's the easier way to connect to people who felt like, felt like an outsider. Even though now, you know, people are like, oh, no white guys. But it's like, yeah, I think the idea is we want more inclusivity, but um, that's kind of wild. Because I honestly, a lot of what you were saying, like, because I grew up in the Bay maybe, and then went to New York, as aware as I am of like, obviously the historical like persecution of Jews, like I haven't seen it as up close um, in those sense that you were talking about. And it definitely is like, okay, yeah, I do understand why people try to say like, hey, I've had a hard time, but then they get upset if they're like, oh, don't tell me I'm a straight white guy. Cause there's room for all of our experiences and all yeah. of our traumas. But um, yeah, I think that's an unpopular opinion to talk about. It is. Listen, when when uh, 45 first got elected, I remember going on some serious FM show and the dude was like an Australian dude. And he had a complete like, you know, road warrior, fury road haircut. And he had a bunch of idiotic, like, you know, skateboarder type dudes in the studio with him. And I was invited on. I was a guest. And um, I said that everyone who voted for 45 was racist. And this guy lost his shit on me, right? And he went, you can't, <clears throat> you, in his Australian accent, <clears throat> he said, I didn't, I didn't vote, but if I had, I'd have voted for Trump. And you can't say that all Trump voters are racist. And I said, not only can I say it, I'm asserting it. And I'll state categorically that they are and that that's what they voted for. Mm. They, they weren't voting because they were economically anxious <clears throat> or whatever the myriad reasons that were thrown out there by the press. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because the press will literally do a backflip and turn itself into a pretzel to support white supremacy. There, there's just no, that's yeah. just a, a truth. Um, and But when you tell white guys they're racist, that's when they get mad at you. Not the fact that they are racist doesn't make them mad, mm -hmm. but that they're being told they're racist and that Somehow you're, and I was told that I'm not allowed to say that. And I'm a white guy. Although, as you know, whiteness is bestowed on people. <laughs> First, Italians weren't white and Irish people weren't white and Jews weren't white and Polish people weren't white. And then as whiteness needed to expand to keep out Asian people, black people, Latin people, they expanded whiteness. Yeah, well, to sometimes though people- to include, um, to include other whites, you know. I was surprised that sometimes people, like, I mean, I've always been around Asian people, but pe people on like Reddit or whatever, like there's arguments about Asian people being white. And I, I think depending on what kind of Asian people we grew up around, it's like, if you're in a town where it's like white people versus everyone else, and then if the Asian people are in the white, you know, I, I see that and white people like, like oftentimes or Asian people will, there's a lot of survivalism and, you know, obviously, yeah. uh, what's her face who's married to Mitch McConnell or the whatever. Yeah, you know. Elaine Chow. Yeah, yeah, you know, so um, there's that. And then there's like, Andrew Yang and his, yeah. hey, both sides are the same. Like, mm, you're a rich guy. Wild. <laughs> yeah, but it you're is rich. well growing up in Hollywood, uh, watching movies where it was like black and white. And then eventually they're like, and Latina. But then I'm like, no. so what's Asian? And sometimes you have groups of Asian people who choose to align with like the culture of black people. And then some people choose to align with the culture of white people just because they're like, I got to pick. 
because I want to be represented. Yeah. And it is a bizarre thing to be like, I don't know. I, we're no, our own thing too, but. <laughs> Michael Eric Dyson is a, a minister and a sociologist and a professor. And um, he's not on TV a lot because he's a little too honest, I think, for people. And he wrote a book called uh, Cheers We Cannot Stop. And uh, he wrote a lot of books, but he wrote this one. And he calls people beloved. And he speaks in very highfalutin terms. I'm often accused of using too much vocabulary, but Michael Eric Dyson speaks in extraordinarily arid, with their erudition. And the vernacular that he chooses is uh, uh, very well chosen and, and specific. And um, in his book, Tears We Cannot Stop, it was right after 45 got elected. And he goes into a deep dive on whiteness. And he says, whiteness was invented. It doesn't exist. It, it's a concept. And it's a concept invented to support a paradigm, blah, blah, blah. And it's killing us. It's the, 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 the root of what's going on in the United States. Because, you know, you read in the paper or you see on TV, the country is seriously divided. There's so many divisions. And it's like, <laughs> the country's not divided at all. We all know yeah. what's going on. There's white supremacy and they're yeah. desperate to hold on to it. Yeah. And that's what is happening. That either you're on the team that hates women, gays, children, medicine, science, and loves so guns, bad. Jesus. You know, they've made it real clear. It's not that confusing. Um, and that's whiteness. That's whiteness. And it's then almost like white an anti. It's not like not white people, but like what you're talking about, like this kind of uplifting of um, white supremacy. It's anti everything else. They think in order for us to exist, everything else has to go away. But there's no other group, like whether they're doing well or badly that, you know, actually thinks that. I think most, it's like, the, I don't know, I think about the animal kingdom, because it's like, yeah, obviously when you're being chased, you want to run. But most of the time, you're not like, I must get rid of all my predators. Like, you're just gonna <laughs> right? live. Like, you're just gonna live. And it's, and humans aren't even our own predators. So it's like the idea that oh, for you to exist, everything else has to not exist is really detrimental because it's just an uphill battle. Like it's easier just to be like, hey, uh, how about I try to thrive and as I get more things, help others thrive. And then, whoa, look at that, we're building. Right, I agree. It's a, the zero sumness of it is what drives me mad. You know, like the, the, there's no answer to it because it, it doesn't make any sense at all. And it's an artificial thing that they've put together. And on top of all that, it's even more artificial in so much as most of them don't even believe it. The, the leaders of this whole thing Many of them went to Oxford and Harvard and are really, really, really educated. And so they know from the outset that what they're talking yeah. about is nonsense. So they're playing to this weird grandstand that we're yeah. supposed to believe exists and that is so powerful. They always called it for the last four years when 45 was president, um, the base. They're playing to the base, huh. but we've never been explained who this base is or why they're so powerful. Um, and then we see them at the rallies with the hats on and everything. Mm. And you think they're not, those people aren't powerful. They're, you know, you're hanging on to the, yeah, like yeah, teddy bear yeah, and yeah. you're like trying to take yeah, it. Yeah. 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 And they're all really aware that, um, this is the last gasp of the brontosaurus, you know, like <laughs> America really did get multicultural. Um, we have a, a president and a vice president now who made a real point out of putting yeah. every single kind of person in the cabinet. There's Asian people, there's black people, there's gay people, there's trans people, there's mm -hmm. to show 
and symbolically, and a lot of people, oh, I don't like him, he is not doing enough. It's really, really, really important that he did that. And it's really, really important that they put a black woman on the Supreme Court. It's unbelievably important. Yes. Because after a black woman on the Supreme Court comes the Asian person, then the in the subcontinent person, then the the gay yeah. person. You know, it, it and it, there's America still room for increments. white people. That's the thing. The goal was never right. to push out. You said, I think people are afraid that like they'll get replaced, but it's like actually the idea is that there will be room for everyone. So actually everyone should be fighting for that because then we're all, you know, there's gonna be space for everyone. Yeah, I I agree. And I, I think we're in a, a you know, we're in an awesome position in one way because we really do have a government right now that is for gay rights and openly says as much and is not a prejudiced government. The last government was openly mm-hmm. racist, openly, and homophobic and transphobic. What's his name was in Washington yesterday saying uh, women shouldn't play in men's sports. Like that's some big issue that's really <sighs> confronting all of us every day. Like I'd like to eat. I'd like to have health care uh-huh. like everyone else. Women playing like, in men's- sports are fun. Like you're going to now police fun. Like, come on, we haven't even solved like hunger and yeah, I mean, but they they only have these weird, like, hot point button things yeah. that they always. And what else do you say? Oh, the, we need to leave the police alone and let them do because every time the police do something, they're afraid. I'm like, I don't think anyone sees it that way, really. I think we're all pretty much on the same page that the police are really powerful. Yeah, like how they all were angry at us. That video of when they went into that school and they all had guns. They were like, I don't know. You have all the guns and you're. St- still afraid you're afraid of yourself i don't know like what are you no no it's weird anyway yeah uh, that was my confession Teresa. is that uh i love uh, it as much as i wish i had gone to hebrew school i didn't (laughs) i I was not bar mitzvah my father was i don't think my uncle did you go to well that was gonna be my i mean um i have a quick game before we end but i'm curious about the your you you did you ever feel like you felt left out because friends of yours were, you know, having their bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah, which was my experience in middle school. <laughs> like, yeah, not understanding the, you know, because at that age, it's just like, oh, you get to have a party, and or or did you like understand like, oh, this is how this whole thing works? Or, well, I didn't. There wasn't that many Jews where I grew up in San Carlos. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was Greg Levin and Alan Levy in my <laughs> grade school, and uh, but uh, uh, in show business. It, it's a real thing. And um, uh, my joke is always, I'm half a Jew, which in Hollywood is no Jew at all. <laughs> um, because, you know, so there's that. Uh, I had someone ask me, actually, he's a good friend of mine, he's a comic, I won't say his name, but um, uh, early on, like we had gone on a date or something and he had said like, do you have a Jewish fetish? Cause he was Jewish. And I was so surprised by that question, maybe because as someone who's Asian, I'm always aware of like, is this person like, mm, are all their girl, ex-girlfriends Asian? But I'd never been asked that and it hadn't, it was like, I didn't even think that someone would think that, but I was like, what makes you ask that? And he said like, the last two people he dated who weren't Jewish, like like specifically wanted to date a Jewish guy. But mm-hmm. that was so funny that he asked me that. Like for a moment I felt offended because the idea of fetishing anything feels really like dirty to me only because I don't like it when people are like fetishizing Asian women. But then it did make me laugh because I was like, oh, like he must really identify as like, this is what I'm putting out there. Because when I liked him, he was like, oh, you like a Jewish guy, not- Right, right, right. So I've always- Well, there's that that thing. Yeah. 
I mean, you know, there are those guys who only date Asian women and there's the, yeah. the Asian women that only go with Jewish guys, you know, like it really happens. That is like most say, of my uh, friends, parents and Paul Alto where was that pretty much. <laughs> it's real. It's a fetishization, but it's also like an assimilation, you know, yeah. in a giant or sense, like uh, uh, my grandfather uh, was a like a slumlord in Brooklyn. And uh, then he moved to the South. He moved to South, South Carolina, which mm -hmm. is so not Jewish. And I swear to you, Teresa, he his name, when I was growing up on his uh, mailing labels, when he'd write me, Everett Culpepper Proops. He took the name Culpepper, which is oh. so Southern, to call yourself Culpepper, to kind of erase the Jewishness. Oh, wow. So, like, yeah, it's assimilating takes so many forms yeah whether it's dating people out of your genre or whatever or you know like people uh if you're if you're uh visibly not white they'll go can you speak uh uh mm -hmm. spanish do you speak Cantonese? you know what i mean like all of a sudden they can't you ask you what you are but they're like yeah 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 yeah, yeah. i yeah. i oh. thought about changing i almost changed my name when i was starting out and this was like before you know, when I was like, I'm gonna do stand up and I never I yeah. just been doing mics, but I was like, I should change my name because I never saw Teresa Lee sounded so like common and I couldn't imagine it being like a name you would say. And so I tried a couple of times to like here and there, I'd be like, let me try it. Like, it's almost embarrassing. I'll just say it, it's confession. I'd be like, what about Riley or like whatever, just like yeah. kind of whitewashing myself. And I didn't realize that. And then now I'm happy I didn't change my name. But um, that's a real thing because I'm like, when someone hears Teresa Lee, they're like, oh, well, that's probably not a comedian. Right, right. No, it's true. You know, like I I don't love having the name Proops, but as pointed out to me the other day, it's a comedy name. And as it's the Chronicle said years ago, he, he's blessed with a clown's name. So I'll take it. <laughs> What's your game? Okay, yeah. So let's end with this. So actually, it was sort of inspired by... Um, um, our, our connection on our grand, our, my great grandfather and your dad, but I wanted to write a game about the like grandfather clause. And then I realized you might already know this, but I didn't know this. So in case listeners don't know, it's problematic to use grandfather clause. I didn't know that the origin of that was from trying to suppress black voters. Um, so now, you know, I guess, um, but anyway, so I've changed the name. It's called lifetime pass or capitalist ass. And basically, <laughs> As we know, companies like to try to get cash quick by doing deals and oftentimes they shoot themselves in the foot when people actually want to get what they were promised. So um, this is, I'll just do, okay, so this is basically, I'm gonna name a couple of companies and they all have done like lifetime pass slash, you know, like really um, lucrative membership deals. And one of them, doubled back in a very awful way. So which shameless corporation needed cash, sold customers a lifetime pass just to take it back and make them look like an ass? It's basically the prompt slash the name. I just wanted to call them capital S. So we've got yeah. Disneyland, American Airlines, Olive Garden. Okay. Life That's Disneyland right. offered a lifetime pass to its first um, guest ever to the park. American Airlines sold unlimited first class pass um, way back in the day uh, and Olive Garden sold unlimited uh, pos never ending prostable uh, 
pass for $500. Um, which one took it back as a capital of the ass? I'd say the uh, 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 American Airlines. You are correct. It was in 1981, they sold an unlimited first class ticket for $250,000. A couple of people bought it. I think Mark Cuban still has it, but he didn't exploit right. it. But this guy flew over 10,000 trips. He once flew to Ontario just for a sandwich, totally within his rights. It was in the contract, unlimited first class. He even like took strangers on flights. Um, he would sometimes allegedly sell the ticket which was also not against the contract. And then uh, in 2007, American Airlines realized they were losing like a million dollars a year. And so they just seized him at the airport and now he can't even fly with the airline anymore. Cause in order wow. for them to justify it, they had to say like, you're a danger to right. the airline and they seized his pass and he tried to sue. And of course he lost. So that's a, that's a capital ass of the day. Absolutely. Wow. That's so rotty. It's, it doesn't surprise me, but it's wild. Like it's yeah, it's like Coachella now is trying to sell lifetime passes as NFTs, and I'm like, oh, that sounds cool for now. They want money, but imagine when they are doing Coachella in space. You think they're going to be doing that for free? You know, mm -hmm. no way. And now we found out that uh, yesterday it was revealed that a bunch of the people who put on Coachella give tons of money to anti-choice groups. Oh, so right. So there's always the back story yeah. of. There's some Seems like where there's money, there's always some sort of always. And always, yet always. I still want it. Give me your money. You <laughs> of know, course. if you don't want to be thought of as evil, just you can unload it on me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Greg. Um, you have a podcast called Smartest Man in the World, Prooftast. Is there anything else you want to plug or promote or you know, sure. coming out? Uh, I'm a I got the new album out in the city. You can go to gregproops.com and get it. Um, we've done pretty well with the downloads. Uh, there's no physical album of it. There's no CDs or vinyl yet, but we'll see. And then uh, the film club, we're showing um, Raising Arizona Thursday. My wife, Jennifer, curates it. It's over at the Los Feliz 3. Oh, uh, we nice. probably won't do one in August, but we'll probably be back in September and October and November with uh, we we show movies every month. Okay, this will come theater. out late August, September, because I... um. We're, but check out those movies. Oh, okay. Well, That'll have already you, and happened it, and it will have been very fun, but. Um, yeah, and that's a podcast too. So you can listen to that. And then um, I'm back on the road with Who's Lion in September, speaking of late August. Uh, and we're called Who's Live Anyway. And we're back on the road, God, all over America, Northeast, Southeast, uh, in New York City and Hawaii and stuff in the autumn. So. Oh, that's nice. And then um, I'll be in London in December with Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh. Uh, we. We do it live with Danny Elfman. Like yeah. And we did it last year at a uh, in LA, the, the Hollywood Bowl. Yeah, Bank, Bank, Bonk Park, oh. whatever it's called, the football stadium downtown. Oh, yes. By you. Yeah. Uh, I have no idea. California <laughs> Bonk or whatever it's called. Uh -huh. They spell it with a with yeah. a C. Bonk of California. Yeah. And uh Billie Eilish uh, did it with us. She was Sally, which was really oh, fun. And then, uh, so yeah, that's what I've got going on. So if you go to gregproofs.com, it's all that. Oh, we're doing a benefit for Arizona Democrats on August 7th. I'm pretty, uh, I'm trying to raise money for different um, states. We did Wisconsin and we did Michigan. And uh, this one's Arizona. And it's all the guys from Who's Line. Aisha Tyler, Ryan Styles, Colin Mockery, Gary Anthony Williams, and Naima Funk. Wow, what uh, a great lineup. That's so awesome. yeah, we, we, I, I, they're really nice kids, the, the kids. 
we're really nice <laughs> middle-aged people that do who's lying and we're all pretty groovy and so we're aware that uh democracy is on the line and so we try to raise money for all these different states so that they can elect democrats down ballot and mark kelly the senator from arizona is up for re-election and he's the one who took over the seat from the Republican lady McSally that Ducey appointed. And so it would be nice to give two Democratic senators from Arizona again, yeah. which we do now. So anyway, we're doing that on August 7th. And I that's on my website as well. So that's awesome. So yeah, I feel like I don't need to listen to my morning BBC anymore. I'm just gonna <laughs> listen to your <laughs> plugs at every and at end of every podcast and I'll have all the current events covered. Um, no, but I love it. You can laugh and do something good. So definitely go to those. Thank you so much, Greg. Thanks, Teresa. Thank you for listening to You Can Tell Me Anything. You Can Tell Me Anything is a comedic podcast created and produced by Teresa Lee on the Hoo Ha Ha Podcast Network. The Hoo Ha Ha team is Ashley McAtee, Audrey Povar, Maggie Reed Austin, Cardi Assad, and Stephanie Binot. The theme song for this podcast was created by Cody Johnston. The outro music was written by Shipwreck Sailor. And the Hoo Ha Ha app can be found in the Apple Store to stream your favorite comedy series and laugh out loud podcasts by the funniest woman in comedy. To contact this podcast specifically, you can email tellmeanythingpod at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at tellmeanythingpod. Thank you.